Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day. Hope you had a good weekend. We're ready to kick off another busy week. We'll keep a close watch on the weather. DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson joins us with a look at the what looks to be a cooler forecast this week. What about rain? We'll talk about that. We're going to learn about an interesting tour that the U.S. Soybean Export Council is hosting this week with four international delegations uh, coming in to tour the upper Midwest and Pacific Northwest. And we'll be talking about that with Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Plenty of trade news, of course. We'll talk a little bit later with the executive director of Farmers for Free Trade, Brian Keel, will be joining us, get his thoughts on some of the trade issues USMCA, as well as China and others. That's coming up. But right now, let's start things off. Check on the news with Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. We ended last week thinking we would have new tariffs on Mexico. Uh, That over the weekend got resolved, and now there's all kinds of questions about just what was accomplished with all of this. Absolutely. Well, good morning, Mike. And, yes, I think all of the agricultural community breathed a collective sigh of relief on Friday when we saw that the deal had been reached. I think there was a lot of uh, positioning going on in order to get something that would be viewed as a win-win by both President Trump and the president of Mexico, Uh, but uh, they were able to reach a deal. Uh, What's in it exactly still remains a little bit to be fleshed out, Um, as I'm sure you and many of your listeners uh, saw on Twitter, the president went to all caps to talk about how the Mexicans were going to buy a lot more agricultural goods, but it wasn't clear how or what that's going to happen. And today he's been on a little bit of a Twitter storm talking about how uh, the deal is done, but one part has to be revealed in the future because it needs to vote by Mexico's legislative body, just kind of teasing that out and not giving any more details on what part of the deal that actually uh, refers to. So so there's more to come, but I think the bottom line is that it, there's no secret that there can be more goods flowing across our borders with Mexico now because the threat of the tariffs is off. Uh, so uh, whether it's going to be a big new purchase or just maybe a resumption of a lot of those uh, trade flows that had been stalled because there had been tariffs under the 232 steel and aluminum and the threat of tariffs here, of course. So uh, relatively good news for a Monday. Yeah, Uh, but a lot of questions. Does it really address the immigration issue, which was supposedly what this was all about, and what what impact, if any, does it have there? And as you said, are they going to buy more than they were or just uh, we, you know, back to keeping what we had or, yeah, so many questions there. And of course, this is a backdrop to the bigger issue of USMCA. What are you hearing about uh, that on, on Capitol Hill? Well, again, folks have really been relieved that this was uh, removed as a another barrier to getting what's already going to be a heavy lift on Capitol Hill, the passage of USMCA. Uh, you know, it's just going to be that much more complicated if we were going to put tariffs on our one of our biggest trading partners uh, when this deal is supposed to be ratified not only by the U.S., but by Mexico and Canada. So uh, you can see already this morning, Mike, you have groups like uh, International Dairy Foods Association, National Milk. They're sending letters uh, in support of passage for USMCA out to all the dairy state congressional delegations. So folks are starting to ramp up the pressure and say, let's get this deal done. Let's get a deal done right away. And um, you had Secretary Purdue down in Florida saying to the growers there, especially tomato growers and some blueberry growers that aren't real happy that they didn't get additional changes in this USMCA saying, hey, don't torpedo the deal because in general it's good for agriculture. So the PR machine is in full uh, speed ahead, I think, in order to try to get USMCA passed. Meanwhile, the president goes to Iowa this week to talk about uh, his lift, you know, his lifting of the E-15 uh, 
ruled that kept it from being sold nationwide year-round. He's going to tout that, of course. Uh, you expecting anything else from him in that visit to Iowa this week? Well, you never really know when you have him go out into the country like this. I imagine he'll be talking about his support for farmers, and uh, he's probably also going to be talking about the disaster relief. He signed that disaster bill on Thursday of last week, and of course, you've got a lot of folks that are literally still underwater along that corridor of I-29. And so uh, people will be looking for perhaps some additional details on that. Uh, you know, we'd like to hear a little bit more about how the department plans to roll out the disaster aid. The secretary has said it will be in weeks, not months. But um, So I would look for perhaps more discussion about disaster aid along with E-15, and then you'll see a, a lot of... Uh, I think congressional uh, members that perhaps weren't so excited about his visit, if he was going to impose these tariffs on Mexico, yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially Joni Ernst, who's running for re-election, she should be there and be a much better state of mind. Meanwhile, are you hearing anything on the market facilitation uh, program uh, payments as far as the county rate and things like that and when we might get those details? No, we keep asking every day, Mike, uh, because we know that growers are so eager to have that information, but we haven't gotten any more other than the fact that there's going to be county rates and that they've been working on trying to make sure that those can be distributed as fairly as possible. So stay tuned. We're still asking. Mm-hmm. And on the China front, not hearing a lot of positive news. Uh, are, are you hearing anything that uh, would give us any optimism there? Um, nothing that looks really structurally important, but the president, again, was on uh, a talk show this morning talking about he thinks that China really wants to make a deal. He feels optimistic, and so we're waiting to see what kind of conversations come out of the G20 where hopefully President Trump and President Xi can get together for a amount of time that they could design a path forward here. So. Uh, it's kind of a wait and see, but the president was making positive comments this morning again. And uh, one other issue, we talked about this with some folks last week, this uh, controversial move, the two federal research agencies out of Washington, D.C., that continues to be uh, uh, a real developing issue for a lot of people, doesn't it? It certainly does. You know, you've got so many folks out in the country who I think are saying, gosh, you know, we've had to move uh, with other jobs and this isn't that big of a deal to get the folks in the federal government. Um, in fact, several agencies like risk management, they have a lot of employees already in Kansas City. But as we reported in Daybreak today, there doesn't seem to be a really strong lean to one or the other location, whether it's Indianapolis, North Carolina, or the Kansas City region, by the people who are making the decision. So um, it's not clear which way they're leaning, but um, I do think that Secretary Purdue is still very sincere about taking the Economic Research Service and uh, back to the country. Yeah, you got people not wanting to leave D.C., and you got these other uh, locations wanting them to come, so we'll see how it all plays out. Sarah, as always, good to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. My pleasure. Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. All right, we'll get the latest on the weather forecast for the week ahead with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson next on AOA. Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Hi, I'm Greg Peterson of the Peterson Farm Brothers. If you've seen our videos, you know we're proud to be farmers. Farming can be dangerous. Never assume location or depth of underground utilities or pipelines. Before you start any work on your farm, call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com to have underground lines located. It only takes a minute and can save your life. 
Never assume the location or depth of underground lines. Always call 811 or visit clickbeforeyoudig.com before you start work. A message from the Pipeline Operators for Ag Safety Campaign. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, let's talk with one Illinois farmer between the Quad Cities and Peoria. David Erickson joins us. David, thanks for being with us. How much do you have done? Um, I'm about uh, 95% plus on corn. But feel fortunate there, and, and most of that corn is up, but no soybeans planted. For the most part, Mike, we've not gotten big rains, although last night, depending on where you're at here in Knox County in Illinois, we're uh, you know, somewhere between, uh, I'd say, 1.6 and 2.5 inches. Our forecast is for a little bit drier weather, and in today's lingo, that means uh, scattered showers of, uh, you know, somewhere between two tenths and half an inch. So, we're as wet now as we've been at any time this spring, and uh, we're probably looking at a week's worth of drying uh, to get back into the fields, I would guess. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's talk weather. We've been doing a lot of that this year, haven't we? And I guess we always do, but more so in a year like this. Let's talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce has a cooler feel over much of the Midwest uh, to start this week. Yeah, there certainly is, Mike. And in fact, uh, not necessarily in the Midwest, but in the uh, Central Plains, uh, there were even some frost advisories uh, for this uh, Monday morning. Um, and there are some uh, areas of uh, central Nebraska that were included with that. Uh, some irrigated corn uh, may have gotten uh, hit just a little bit with uh, some light frost, so that isn't uh, a real favorable uh, scenario. But over uh, the balance of the central U.S., uh, it is cool, uh, not frosty, but uh, the thing that you know hangs everybody up at this point, uh, because it's been such a slow season with all the heavy uh, rainfall that we've had is that uh, the the uh, crop is about three weeks late, thinking of corn, and growing degree day totals are going to be uh, sorely needed all the way through the uh, balance of this season. And, of course, when it's cool, you don't get much of a chance to accumulate that metric. Uh, so that's going to be a, a real key detail that a lot of folks are going to uh, keep track of as we go through this week and, like I say, on through the season. Is this a short thing this week? Uh, does we, do we start warming back up soon? There will be a warming trend, and uh, that's, uh, I think, going to be useful. Uh, the uh, prospect for uh, the warmer conditions is still going to be hard to find from the Great Lakes uh, through the Ohio Valley or the uh, middle and upper Ohio Valley, though. So um, much of Indiana, 
Michigan and Ohio are going to still be in, uh, in, in need of getting some warmer temperatures. Elsewhere, it is going to be uh, milder, and uh, that should be pretty favorable, I think. Uh, the the uh, best thing about a warmer pattern is that it's not going to turn out excessively hot, and so the temperature parameters are going to allow for the growing degree day totals to definitely add up, and that's going to be pretty useful. How widespread were, were those uh, frosty conditions where, you know, there was some frost concerns? Uh, how widespread? It was mainly in, uh, in kind of the north-central plains uh, part of the country, so I don't think that it uh, really got into any wheat areas. Uh, it didn't get nearly that far south. And uh, so it was, uh, you know, more of a north-central into the western uh, plains type of uh, feature uh, where the uh, colder conditions were. And uh, like I say, it didn't really get into the, um, the heart of the Corn Belt. Uh, so that's one uh, weather calamity or, or weather uh, difficulty, if you will, that uh, the majority of the Midwest was able to dodge for this year. We haven't been able to say that, of course, uh, considering mm-hmm. how things are. All right. What about rain this week? Well, it's going to be uh, still a, uh, a uh, pattern that uh, keeps the eastern Midwest under the influence of showers. And uh, this is going to run from central Missouri eastward across central Illinois into Indiana and Ohio, Michigan, southeastern Wisconsin. We could see rainfall totals in, in, the, uh, in the amount of about uh, an inch and a half maybe even locally heavier, and uh, this uh, is just going to keep the pressure on, and, you know, it's going to uh, keep areas that are still too wet uh, chronically on the wet side, and it will add to the flooding pressure that we have, and there are still many areas that are uh, going to be affected by this uh, through much of this season, if not the entire uh, summertime. Uh, So that's going to still be with us. Uh, The northern areas... Uh, the northwestern areas are going to be drier, and so that's where the, the uh, better conditions are going to be from that standpoint. Are we close to, are we starting to see beginning stages of a change in the weather pattern for this year, or do you see this continuing a while longer? I don't think that uh, we've seen a definite uh, change at all. Um, in fact, next week, Mike, there's going to be a, a, a new fairly active uh, low-pressure trough develop uh, that uh, focuses in Southern California and Arizona, and uh, that's going to send more disturbances into the central part of the country, and, and uh, that's going to uh, provide the, uh, the impetus for uh, the new rounds of uh, rainfall that we are looking for. And uh, we do have to keep in mind now that as saturated as uh, much of the ground is over the central part of the country, it's not going to take very much to uh, fire up a new round of uh, rainfall because there's just a lot of moisture that is going to have to be worked with. And uh, you get any sort of uh, lifting mechanism uh, in effect, you know, that is uh, going to lead to the potential for new rounds of uh, showers and thunderstorms to fire up. Well, you know, for two or three months now, we've been thinking, well, maybe next week or maybe this is the week. And it just sounds like it's just going to keep going for a while. Well, it is. Um, and and that is uh, part of the, you know, part part of the kind of reinforcing mechanism that, that wet ground brings to the uh, table. Because, uh, you know, we have seen this in, in previous seasons, and there's been uh, so much of a uh, comparison to uh, 1993, that it's hard to overlook that, and I think that uh, that certainly is uh, is uh, staying with us. And in that year, it was awfully hard to uh, to get an extended period of drier conditions. And in fact, uh, that's the year when uh, the uh, heavy rainfall really blew up in uh, July and caused the uh, terrific flooding. We've had that earlier this season. Uh, in this year, but it's uh, now going to stay with us for a long time. When you get uh, ground that is as wet as uh, we have, pretty much from the Rockies all the way east, uh, practically to the east coast, uh, it is uh, very, very difficult to come up with an extensive drier period because, like I say, you get any sort of a uh, lifting mechanism in the atmosphere at all, there is enough uh, available low-level moisture that it can fire up 
uh, a round of showers uh, quite easily and uh, more easily than not. Well, and we do have places uh, with newly planted uh, fields that could use some actually shower, but on some of those same farms, they're still too wet in other areas. I mean, it's just that kind of a year. Very, very uneven. And, uh, in fact, I think that that's going to be uh, just a calling card uh, for this season all the way through. And, and it's, uh, it's going to, I think, be very difficult to come up with a consistent and, uh, and, and uh, generally acceptable evaluation of how crop conditions are because there is so much variability, uh, as you said, within, within a given field let alone a given county or a, a given district. And so that's going to be a real question all the way through this season. Yeah, we mentioned earlier we need, we're need we trying to catch up. We could use the heat to do that. But then we'll also be, that race will be on, and we'll be really focused even more this year than usual on those frost dates later this year. We will. Uh, you know, that uh, is, a, is a metric that is uh, is going to be very closely watched the last few years. Uh, the frost dates have been uh, working into a later time frame, and so that uh, you know that is going to be uh, something that we definitely need. And along with that, you have the question of um, you know of how things are going to be for uh, late fall or later summer and fall drying conditions. If we have a season like we did last year, it's going to be real difficult to get that going. And uh, we had a year back in uh, 2008. 2009, uh, when it was a, uh, a very slow uh, end of the season as well because of, uh, of wet conditions. And uh, crops didn't necessarily freeze, but they didn't really mature either. And so you have those questions that are still to be answered. So uh, there's, like I say, a lot of, a lot of uh, unevenness, uh, a lot of uh, real back and forth uh, that we're going to be uh, kind of... Uh, looking at uh, all sorts of varying effects uh, depending on the uh, weather conditions almost on a uh, on an every three-day basis uh, throughout the rest of this year. We keep looking for normal. I'm not sure what normal is anymore. Well, normal is uh, is either either side of an extreme, uh, the way things have acted. And, and uh, we're, we're truly looking at a time when averages are simply the, the uh, midpoint or the, the mathematical, uh, uh, you know, computation of uh, a real set of extremes. And uh, this year the, the extreme has uh, definitely been on the wet side and, and still doesn't show any real sign of, of changing, particularly over the eastern Corn Belt. And I think that's where the real uh, questions are about how uh, things are uh, developing right now. All right. Bryce, thanks a lot. Uh, we'll check back in with you next week, okay? Okay, good to be with you, Mike. Thank you. Thanks a lot. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Coming up next, we're going to talk with the CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, learn about a a tour going on, bringing in some international soybean buyers. We'll talk about that next here on AOA. Soybean growers are going all-in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all-in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all-in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water, your air, your food. You're going to need our organizational skills, our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination, our honesty, 
our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. For the American Ag Network, I'm Kirsten Rawl. Corn prices are generally weaker as we begin the week, setting back as reports from around the Corn Belt suggest producers are still busy putting corn in the ground over the weekend. Corn planting progress on Monday's crop progress report is expected to be 80 to 85 percent complete versus the 67 percent last week and 100 percent average. Soybeans are slightly higher as traders prepare for the June WASD report, with weather offering a better window for planting producers have also been able to seed additional soybean acres as well as corn. Soybean export shipments as percentage of USDA's marketing year forecasts at 72.2% remains the lowest on record going back to 1991. Average trade estimates for the 2018-19 ending stocks of both corn and soybeans are expected to rise on the June WASD report. Wheat markets are also softer on Monday morning with harvest expanding into the southern plains and the corn market taking a breather. On the Board of Trade, July corn down a fraction of a cent at 4.15 and a half. Nearby soybeans up four and three quarters at 8.61. Minneapolis spring wheat July down a penny and three quarters at 5.67. Kansas City wheat July steady at 4.49. Chicago wheat July down two and a half at 502. For livestock at the Merck in live cattle futures, June a dollar forty higher at 108.32. In feeder cattle futures, August a dollar forty higher at 138.72. In lean hog futures, June 40 cents higher at 79.05. In the outside markets, the Dow Jones is 166 points higher. The Nasdaq composite is up 111. S&P is up 20 points, and crude oil is down 11 cents at 53.88. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Kirsten Rawl for the American Ag Network. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction. Plus, the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by Jim Sutter, he's CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Jim, thanks for being with us. I'm sure, like many others, you're breathing a sigh of relief that we're not talking about new tariffs on Mexico today. Mike, that's for sure. Glad that something was able to be worked out. They are a strong, strong, long-term customer of U.S. soy, and uh, we we just want to see that continue uh, uninterrupted. And the the good news is they do too. They they were, uh, you know, we have strong relations there. So I think everyone's glad with the way this has turned out. What do you make of the president's comments that they're going to be buying? It, he made it sound like more than they were. Uh, no one quite understands completely or has the details on what that might be. What do you make of that comment? Well, Mike, I'm in the same camp as everyone else. Don't really have the details on that. Uh, as I said, they're a strong customer of U.S. soy. We have, uh, you know, depending on the year, between an 80 and a 95 percent market share of their soy imports. So we, we we enjoy a strong participation in that market. I would think there'd be some commodity, you know, some things maybe in the meat area. Uh, not sure if there was any new agreement on that. Um, I, I really don't know. I, I just think. 
the more we can do to strengthen our relationship with them, the more hopefully uh, USMCA can get wrapped up in the relatively near future. Uh, you know, we, we have a good relationship with those people. They want to be good customers. They want, they like the, having the U.S. Uh, agriculture industry and our farmers as their suppliers. So if we just uh, just kind of get the, the, the path cleared, I think we'll be in good shape there. So, so I hope that this is a, an important step in doing that. Meanwhile, the Soybean Export Council is hosting four international delegations uh, this week and touring the Upper Midwest and Pacific Northwest. Tell us about this tour. Yeah, we are really excited about this. Uh, you know, when we lost uh, our large export opportunity to China for reasons that we've all talked about many, many times, um, that was really a blow to the Pacific Northwest export flow and the producers whose beans really had been stemming that flow, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, uh, then you go further south, and there's some other states, Nebraska as well, and, and maybe some others. But So it was an important loss. So we are trying to bring in teams. Uh, we're calling this, uh, for lack of a better name, a PNW Soy Bazaar, and we have t- teams from Southeast Asia, Korea, uh, the what we call the Asia subcontinent, so Pakistan, Bangladesh, India, Sri Lanka, and Nepal, but really Pakistan and Bangladesh would be the two main buying countries there. Uh, the Americas and eventually Taiwan will have it becoming coming as well. So these buyers have been customers of U.S. soy, many of them for years, some of them relatively new, Pakistan and Bangladesh in particular. And they may not be so familiar with uh, the strengths that we have in the PNW, the strong infrastructure investments that have been made in the recent years, the great production capabilities we have in the upper Midwest. And so we're just we're bringing them here to help familiarize them with that, with the goal of replacing some of that lost demand that, that China was such an important customer off of the Pacific Northwest. Uh, but these other customers could well be important customers, too, particularly, you know, you, the, you, you think about the geography of those countries or, or the regions that I listed off. Many of them are a real good fit to take products off the P&W. So we have them starting out. I spoke with a group this morning. I did a video conference because I have other meetings here in St. Louis today. Uh, but with a group from Korea this morning, we'll be talking with another group by video conference this afternoon, uh, just welcoming them to the U.S., thanking them for taking their time to come here and give us the opportunity to talk to them about the big in- infrastructure investments that have been made and the great farming uh, practices that we have. So, it's, so, so that's what we're up to in, in the, this week. And does this also kind of reassure them, you know, they hear about what's going on between the U.S. and China and some of the other trade issues uh, with other trading partners, uh, a chance to reassure them of our reliability and our and our ability to provide them uh, the soy that they need? Mike, I sure hope that it does that. That's one of the things that, you know, you can read all the headlines and you can hear the news. Hopefully, our consistent presence, that you know, the, the work that our organization and others like us in other commodities do, I, I hope that it uh, reminds them that U.S. farmers and, uh, you know, and then the whole industry we work with to get our products from farm all the way to these customers wants to be a reliable supplier to these people, has made huge investments to be able to be a reliable supplier. So sometimes they have to, you know, I, kind of ignore some of the headlines about some of the things that are said about some of these countries and just understand that the people who are actually growing the product and shipping the product want to continue to be strong suppliers to these customers. So hopefully we do that. Uh, I think so. I, you know, I have the opportunity oftentimes to talk to these groups, and I feel like at the commercial level uh, and the industry level, there's a real strong relationship that exists between the U.S. and these countries. But I think that PNW is something that's a little bit new for some of these folks. Uh, and so this, is, this has given us an excuse to, you know, host these bazaars, as we talked about, these, these, you know, these visits that are going to give them a real up-close up and personal look at what the U.S. has to offer off of that export range. Do you expect or anticipate any uh, purchases or deals to be signed during this tour? You know, that's always a question we get. And I'm kind of a more of a believer that we're there this time. This, you know, this is not. Even though we called it a bazaar, it's not the kind of place where somebody would actually go to buy something, particularly on this trip. 
if that should happen, that would be a nice uh, bonus or a nice maybe surprise. But I think the purpose really is to show them the capability to make sure they have the right contacts, that they know who the key exporters are for whatever product, whether it's whole beans or soybean meal or specialty beans, so they have the right contact, uh, in, 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 you know, they know the right people to be working with uh, for future business. I don't anticipate a lot of uh, business actually on this trip, but I think there's, there's every, re- I mean, the U.S. soy is extremely competitively priced these days. And these people, I, I, you know, we, we, from what we understand around the world, lots of our buyers uh, are not that well covered out into the deferred. They, they had been looking at the situation as, you know, there's these huge supplies coming, prices just continue kind of sliding down as you get into the nearby levels. So they don't have a lot of future purchases on the books. So I think the time is such that they could make purchases in the relatively near future. And, and that's certainly what we hope out of this. We're, we're doing this with a very specific goal that this will increase the purchases off of the PNW. And we could sure use that. Uh, meanwhile, on China, we keep hearing uh, the devastating news about African swine fever and what's going on in China and, and in Vietnam, the steps they continue to take, uh, but so far been unable to get it under control. So even if we were trading uh, with China, uh, it looks like that soy demand is going to be down just from the number of hogs they've lost. Yeah, it sure does. And certainly in the short run, we're hearing the same thing in both of those countries that you mentioned, and it is a real problem. Uh, What we're also hearing is that, uh, particularly in China, there's a real effort underway by the government, and they're pushing some of the larger feed and integrated livestock production companies to get facilities in place to ramp up their production capacity on, on places where they can have tight biosecurity practices so they can try and increase production. They don't want to have a big shortage of pork. I mean, we've seen them importing pork from the U.S. and other countries around the world, so they're worried about that. And we think that that will rapidly uh, cause them to want to start be using more soy in their feeding rations. Now, it is indeed down right now, but, but our team on the ground thinks that this will be pretty short-lived because they see steps being taken by the large players in the industry to try and ramp up and get more pork uh, production going on in these larger facilities. So so that's what we see there. Yeah, so uh, short-term doesn't look very bright, but the long-term uh, could be as they try to as they try to rebuild. And all this points out, Jim, why, though, it's so important to have diversified markets, right? Uh, you, you can't just rely on one, and that's why uh, these trips like uh, this tour you're hosting this week to get other buyers involved, that's why that's so important. Oh, you are exactly right, Mike. We, we need to be covering many, many markets around the world. China has obviously been a great success story. You know, U.S. farmers and, and industry, but mainly farmer dollars, were started investing there as far back as 1982. And uh, then it took to 95 before the first imports took place. And then the market has just grown uh, very nicely since then, obviously. Uh, But, yeah, we need to be working in other markets, and we are. Uh, They all just take some time. But that's why we want to be involved in many markets, having many close relationships, because we want people in many places to think of the U.S. as their key supplier for soy. And I think we have have great product. We have uh, great infrastructure. And we have a great sustainability message, which is becoming more and more important around the world. So we've got a lot of things going for us. We just need to be out there continuing to work with people to make sure this happens. All right, Jim. Uh, thanks for the update, and we look forward to hearing uh, good results uh, from this uh, from these tours going on this week. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. Really appreciate the opportunity to update you and all of your listeners because uh, we're, we're doing this on their behalf, and I think it's uh, we appreciate all of their support to make it happen. Very good. Thanks a lot. Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Uh, Market development work takes time. You build those relationships, and uh, tours like they're hosting this week uh, go a long way towards uh, building those relationships and hopefully result in uh, uh, sales and business on down down the road as uh, you develop that partnership and uh, educate them about what we have and what we can deliver, and hopefully that will pay off. Well, the uh, the efforts starting to ramp up to get USMCA passed, not having new 
tariffs on Mexico this week certainly helps, but there are still a lot of questions and a lot of bumps in the road ahead. We're going to talk about it with Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. That's coming up next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, talking with Maggie Elowani with the National Rural Health Association. Maggie, you talked about the number of rural hospitals closing. Are we also seeing uh, mergers, takeovers uh, happening uh, within the uh, rural hospital system as well? We certainly are, and there's been an increase in mergers, and, and some of those have been very positive. They've helped some small rural providers with the cash flow they need to keep their doors open. Others, and this is really frustrating, have purchased some of these facilities only to close them a short time afterwards. So simply being bought out and merging with another facility doesn't mean that we're going to be able to ensure access to care in those rural communities. So we really need kind of a long-term strategy of really thinking about why these hospitals are closing and what we need to do to change them. And it's because there have been so many different cuts that have occurred to these hospitals. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Clean. Wash hands and utensils to avoid spreading bacteria when preparing food. Separate. Use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Cook. You can't tell it's done by how it looks. Always use a food thermometer. Chill. Keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. 
Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk more trade with the Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. And, uh, Brian, I guess I heard you, along with about everybody else in agriculture, breathing that sigh of relief over the weekend when we heard that new tariffs would not be going on Mexico. That's that's correct. That was a, that was a big concern, and uh, and uh, would have been would have been really a bad thing for U.S. agriculture. Um, so yes, we're glad the tariffs aren't going on in Mexico. I, I think one question that we should all be asking is, you know, is is this type of threat appropriate at all? Um, you know, just having these threats diminishes market confidence, so it's not a good thing, even if ultimately the the issue is resolved. And tariffs really. They're not the right tool to be used to solve all of the world's problems. I mean, they're, they're, it's really kind of a blunt, blunt instrument. And um, so we're glad the tool wasn't used. We'd rather it not have been threatened at all. And, and I think ultimately cooler heads prevailed within the White House. Well, we know the president likes tariffs, and he has not closed the door on, uh, on more tariffs on Mexico. He's leaving that possibility out there. That's right, and 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 this is a real concern. I mean, both with Mexico, but you remember the steel and aluminum tariffs, how much they hurt farmers with uh, increased cost of steel bin or of grain bins and tractors, um, and some of those steel and aluminum tariffs are still in place on you know uh, imports from Europe and India. So so there's still retaliatory tariffs on U.S. ag products. Um, you know, the Constitution gives Congress the authority to levy tariffs. And, and I think one of the conversations that's happening on the Hill right now is, has Congress ceded too much authority? Because I don't think anyone envisioned that, that tariffs would become the tool of choice to, uh, to correct all of the world's problems. And, and U.S. agriculture then ultimately is in the crosshairs. Well, Senator Grassley told us uh, last week, he said, he talked about that very issue, and he said, well, don't blame the president, blame Congress for, for letting that happen. Uh, that's right. That's right. And Congress, Congress needs to step up and, 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 and reassert its authority. I mean, you know, it's not an accident that, that the framers of the Constitution, our founding fathers, gave that authority to Congress. They did it because they wanted to make sure that every person in the, America would be represented in that decision in the sense that you've got, you know, local representatives who are closest to the people hearing the pain from the people, hearing the discussion from the people. That, that's why the power resides with Congress. And, and so I think you will see in the coming year additional steps to, to take some of that power back. Okay, we're starting to hear more people in Congress talking about USMCA, both either supporting or raising concerns and questions about it. Uh, are we going to start seeing this really ramp up now and and how bumpy a road do you see this being? Um, yes, we're going to see it ramp up, and uh, and I think ultimately we have a very good chance of getting it this passed. Now, everyone should remember USMCA is the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. That's the trade deal that President Trump negotiated with Mexico and Canada. It's basically NAFTA, but modernized. So it has some, some important uh, improvements on a number of different fronts, including better provisions for U.S. dairy, uh, better provisions for e-commerce, which obviously didn't exist when NAFTA was negotiated. Um, Farmers for Free Trade, our organization, has been going around the country meeting with members of Congress, encouraging them to support this this trade deal of President Trump's. And we're getting positive response, both from Democrats and Republicans alike. People seem to understand that trade with Mexico and Canada is critically important. People seem to understand that we need this trade bill to stabilize that relationship and put off additional tariffs. And and so I think ultimately we will get this done. Do you have any more 
events planned for the this year, this summer, to, um, to put the spotlight <laughs> on the USMCA? You don't know us very well if you're asking that question. <laughs> yeah, we have. I, I was we I was setting you up us. there. I, I teed that one up for you, okay? <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm just joking with you. Uh, we do. We just finished uh, a very intensive blitz through Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona. Really wonderful meetings with farmers, uh, thanks to the Texas Farm Bureau, the New Mexico Farm Bureau, the Arizona Farm Bureau, all of whom were participating. But we had events with pecan growers. Uh, we have had events with uh, uh, with all manner of commodities, uh, and Democrats and Republicans, uh, both sides of the aisle, talking about the importance of trade to, to, uh, to those economies. Uh, we're now focusing forward. We'll start our tour in California this week. Uh, we have an event in Fresno, California on Friday, another in Salinas, California on Saturday, and then uh, we have two events in uh, in California on the following Monday. So we're hitting, uh, hitting members in California and talking about the importance of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. What For those that are critical of it or still questioning it, what are the biggest issues you think remaining that will have to be resolved to get those votes? Uh, you know, there are really three issues that come up, and I don't think any of them are going to be deal killers. Uh, the three issues are enforceability of labor provisions. You know, we recall that the USMCA requires uh, a higher percentage of auto parts in particular to be manufactured in cut by uh, workers with a, a set labor uh, wage. There are other labor provisions. There's some concern that maybe that wouldn't be enforceable. I think that's resolving. There's been some concerns about uh, environmental provisions or lack of environmental provisions. I don't think that's going to hold this deal up. Um, and then there's some concerns about what are called biologics, which is really a fancy word for drug pricing. Uh, some concern that the way this bill is structured, it could lead to increase in uh, prescription drug prices. I-, I wouldn't be surprised if Congress modifies that in some fashion, uh, maybe uh, as this moves forward, but, but we'll have to see. But again, I, I think overall the deal's good, and most people understand that, Democrats and Republicans, and I think we'll see this become law. All right, Brian, safe travels to you, and uh, we'll check in with you again along the road and uh, see how things are going. Thank you. Hey, Mike, appreciate your, your continued coverage. We'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. Well, some interesting numbers uh, coming out uh, today, uh, not only the planting numbers, but uh, crop condition numbers. And we're going to look at those tomorrow, get market reaction, get a better handle maybe on some of the prevent plant numbers too. Lots to talk about. That will be coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. 